Chapter 24 of A History of California, the American Period by Robert Class Cleland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 The Overland Mail and the Pony Express. Before the building of railroads, one of the most serious problems California had to face, from a social and political as well as an economic standpoint, was the development of some means of carrying on local and transcontinental communication. To supply this pressing need for transportation facilities, measures of various kinds were undertaken by unofficial bodies as well as under state and national direction. Road building was naturally regarded as one of the essential means of solving the difficulty, and it was undertaken both at private and public expense. In September 1854, for instance, the people of Los Angeles raised $6,000 for the construction of a wagon road between their city and Fort Tejon. The work was completed in December of the same year. In 1855, the state legislature appropriated $100,000 for a road through Johnston's Cutoff in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, $7,000 for a road from San Diego to the Colorado River, and $20,000 for the Old Mormon Road from San Pedro through the Cajon Pass to Salt Lake City. Footnote. At about the same time, the federal government set aside $50,000 for the same road. Over it, one of the earliest of the overland mail services to the state was inaugurated. End of footnote. With the increase of population and the building of roads, the transportation companies sprang up like mushrooms to meet the increased demand for more adequate service. Nearly all of these companies carried freight, passengers, express or mail, as the opportunity arose. Many of them grew into large and flourishing organizations and played a very vital part in the upbuilding of the state. It is manifestly impossible to list any considerable number of these lines, but a few may be cited by way of illustration. In 1854, for example, the Adams Express Company began a monthly express service between San Francisco and Salt Lake City by way of Los Angeles. From the last-named city, according to the company's advertisements, the route included the following settlements, El Monte, San Bernardino, Cold Creek, Johnston Springs, Parowan, Ked Creek, Fillmore City, Nephthys City, Summit Creek, Payson's, Provo City, and American Fork. The following year, the California Stage Company added a line of stages to this route, and of more importance still, a very considerable freight business sprang up between the two cities. This service was all the more important because heavy winter snows ordinarily shut off communication between Salt Lake and St. Louis on the east and San Francisco on the west, during a large part of the year, leaving the Los Angeles-Salt Lake Road as the only means of outside communication for the Mormon settlements. As a result of this natural monopoly, the Los Angeles merchants profited greatly from the Salt Lake trade and built up a large trade between the two cities. An idea of the importance of this business may be gained from the fact that the single firm of Alexander and Banning frequently set out a train with as many as 15 ten-mule teams transporting merchandise valued at $30,000 or $40,000. Freight charges over the route ranged from 18 to 25 cents a pound. 
While these local or semi-local lines were a material benefit to the communities they served, the most vital interest of California lay in the development of transcontinental means of communication. In the matter of mail service, for instance, for nearly ten years after the discovery of gold, with a few exceptions to be noted elsewhere, the people of the state were compelled to rely wholly upon the Pacific Mail Steamship Company. Although this company drew an annual subsidy of $700,000 for carrying a monthly mail between New York and San Francisco, it performed its functions in a most abominable manner if the literature of the time is at all to be relied upon. Even when the service was made semi-monthly in 1851, the southern part of the state still suffered most exasperating delays in receiving its eastern mail. Letters from New York were sometimes seven or eight months reaching Los Angeles. The Pacific mail vessels frequently failed to stop at San Diego on either northward or southward voyage, but carried the Los Angeles mail from Panama to San Francisco and back again to Panama, with a fine disregard for the impatient citizens of the southern cities. Consequently, letters from New York sometimes required seven or eight months to reach Los Angeles. Footnote. In 1855, one of the southern newspapers stated that San Luis Obispo had had only eight mails in 18 months. End of footnote. Naturally, the people of the state were anxious to bring such a condition to an end, and very early began the agitation for a regular overland mail service to the east. Prior to 1857, however, only a few abortive attempts were actually made, either by Congress or private individuals, to inaugurate such a service. And from these efforts, the people of the state derived little immediate benefit. The most ambitious of these early undertakings was that of Absalom Woodward and George Chorpenning. With these men, the United States government contracted on April 25, 1851, for a monthly mail service each way between Salt Lake City and Sacramento. The first route was along the regular emigrant road through Placerville, crossing the Sierras at Carson's Canyon, then following along the Carson and Humboldt Rivers, and around the northern end of the lake to Salt Lake City. Thirty days was allowed for the 900-mile trip, and though this could be made easily enough in summer, the winter often found the route impassable, so that Chorpenning was obliged to abandon it during several months each year and forward the mails to San Pedro by sea and thence transport them overland to Salt Lake by the Mormon Trail. Indian attacks on the northern route were also frequent. So, while the government subsidy, which amounted to only $14,000 a year, was afterwards increased and a shorter road opened between Placerville and Salt Lake through northern Nevada, Chorpenning's project never gave very satisfactory service, nor repaid the contractors by several hundred thousand dollars for the expense and labor involved. One of the reasons for the slow development of the overland mail service was the very powerful and well-organized opposition in Washington of the Pacific Mail Steamship Company to any rival carrier. The intense sectional jealousy between Northern and Southern California and between Western and Southern states over the location of the route was another retarding influence. Almost every immigrant trail running into the state had its backers, but eventually the contest narrowed down to three main routes. The first of these, much frequented by early immigrants, ran from Independence, Missouri, 
and later from St. Joseph to Salt Lake by way of Laramie, Fort Bridger, and the South Pass. Over the eastern portion of this route, from Missouri to Salt Lake, a monthly mail service was almost continuously maintained by various contractors after 1850. This supplied both the Mormon settlements in Utah and the United States military forces along the frontier. But from Salt Lake to California, this northern route was frequently impassable during the winter months, as Jor Penning found by hard experiment. The second proposed route left Springfield, Missouri, and ran in a southwesterly course to the Canadian River. Following the course of this stream, it passed through Albuquerque and held almost directly west until it reached the Colorado. From the Colorado, it continued to the Mojave and then turned northward to the Tejon Pass. From the Tejon, one branch led to Los Angeles, and another continued up the San Joaquin Valley to San Jose and San Francisco. This route, commonly known as the 35th Parallel Route, or Beale's Route, was apparently the most favored of the three by mail contractors. The southern route, which eventually obtained the government subsidy, will be described in detail later. It is sufficient here to point out that while considerably longer than either of the others, and running from much of the way through barren or even desert country, it had the great advantage of being open the year around, and was consequently looked upon as the most available of the three by postal officials. Over this route, a mail service was established from San Diego to San Antonio, Texas in 1857. Wynn quotes from the San Diego Herald this description of the departure of the first mail. Quote, the pioneer mail train from San Diego to San Antonio, Texas, under the contract entered into by the government with Mr. James Birch, left here on the 9th instant, August 9, 1857, at an early hour in the morning and is now pushing its way for the east at a rapid rate. The mail was, of course, carried on pack animals, as will be the case until wagons, which are being pushed across, will have been put on the line. The first mail from the other side has not yet arrived, although somewhat overdue and conjecture is rife as to the cause of the delay. The government contract with Birch, mentioned in the quotation, was only on a temporary basis pending the passage through Congress of the long-delayed Overland California Mail Bill. And in the closing hours of Pierce's administration, this measure, after a deal of wrangling, finally became law. Under the terms of the act, the postmaster general was empowered to select a route, determine the frequency of the service, and advertise for bids for the transportation of all letter mail from the Mississippi to San Francisco. The contract was to run for six years and called for a subsidy of $300,000 annually for semi-monthly service, $450,000 for weekly service, and $600,000 for semi-weekly service at the option of the Postmaster General. Nine bids were made for this contract, but the award finally went to the Butterfield Overland Mail Company, a concern closely affiliated with Wells Fargo and controlled almost entirely by New York stockholders. The southern route was selected by the Postmaster General, and St. Louis chosen as the location of the Central Depot of Supplies. All sections of the country, as a contemporary newspaper pointed out, thus shared, to some extent, in the advantages of the contract. The route of the Overland Mail, as Butterfield's company came to be known, 
can best be shown from the following timetable printed in a newspaper of the period san francisco to los angeles four hundred and sixty four miles eighty hours zero minutes los angeles to fort yuma two hundred and eighty miles seventy two hours twenty minutes fort yuma to tucson 280 miles, 71 hours, 45 minutes. Tucson to Franklin, El Paso, 360 miles, 82 hours. Franklin to Fort Chadbourne, 428 miles, 128 hours, and 40 minutes. Fort Chadbourne to Colbert's Ferry on the Red River, 283 miles, 62 hours, and 25 minutes. Colbert's Ferry to Fort Smith, 192 miles 38 minutes fort smith to tipton 313 miles 48 hours 55 minutes tipton to st louis by railroad 160 miles in 11 hours and 40 minutes between los angeles and san francisco the route passed through san jose gilroy pacheco pass fresno city visalia fort tejon French Johns, San Fernando, and a number of other settlements which at the time enjoyed a reputation and a name. From St. Louis to San Francisco, the postage on first-class mail was three cents for each half ounce. Three sacks of letters averaging 170 pounds in weight and a newspaper bag of about 140 pounds were carried by each coach. These coaches were substantially built and at a pinch could accommodate six passengers. From four to six horses or mules were attached to each coach. They traveled day and night, running on a maximum schedule of 25 days for the one-way trip. This maximum time, however, was seldom required, except where delays occurred from Indian attacks or flooded rivers. There was likely to be irregularity, however, in the mail service between Memphis and Fort Smith and as the Butterfield stages picked up the southern mail at this point for conveyance to California, such delays sometimes interfered with the normal schedule. Probably the quickest trip on record was made in 1859, when the mail leaving St. Louis on September 16th reached Los Angeles on October 3rd, having been on the road only 17 days, 6 hours and 10 minutes. The business of the Butterfield Company was conducted in a thoroughly systematic manner and on a very large scale. Nearly 800 men were in the employ of the company. The equipment consisted of more than a hundred Concord coaches, a thousand horses, and five hundred mules. Stations were built, wherever possible, at ten-mile intervals. These were ordinarily of adobe, and the government allowed 320 acres of land for building and grazing purposes at each station. In sections where there was danger of Indian attack, a guard of 20 or 25 men was placed at each station to protect the company's property and to convoy the mail coach through the hostile country. The fare from Memphis or St. Louis to San Francisco was $200. Passengers had to furnish their own meals, but were given facilities for preparing them at the company stations. Each passenger was allowed to carry 40 pounds of baggage without cost. He was advised to equip himself for the journey with the following outfit, quote, one Sharps rifle and a hundred cartridges, a Colt's navy revolver and two pounds of balls, a knife and sheath, a pair of thick boots and woolen pants, 
a half dozen pairs of thick cotton socks six undershirts three woolen undershirts a wide-awake hat a cheap sack coat and a soldier's overcoat one pair of blankets in summer and two in winter a piece of india rubber cloth a pair of gauntlets a small bag of needles pins etc two pair of thick drawers three or four towels and various toilet articles the overland mail was looked upon by all right-minded southern californians as a local institution or at least as belonging principally to the southern part of the state northern california was somewhat chagrined at the choice of the southern route and many of the states east of the rocky mountains likewise felt aggrieved at the postmaster general's decision for although a mail service was maintained between placerville and st joseph missouri by way of salt lake and the line was supposed to run from stockton to kansas city by way of albuquerque neither of these could compete successfully with a butterfield subsidy partly therefore as a result of this sectional rivalry and partly to meet a real economic need one of the most spectacular of western ventures was set on foot in the spring of eighteen sixty this was the famous pony express more important if the truth be told from the standpoint of romance than of commercial success the first trip of this new and short-lived enterprise was begun amid great enthusiasm the san francisco bulletin of april seventh eighteen sixty contained this paragraph quote, from one o'clock till a quarter to four on tuesday last a clean-limbed hardy little nanking colored pony stood at the door of the alta telegraph company's office the pioneer pony of the famous express which that day began its first trip across the continent the little fellow looked all unaware of his famous future two little flags adorned his headstall from the pommel of his saddle hung on each side a bag lettered overland pony express the broad saddle wooden stirrups immense flappers to guard the rider's feet and the girth that knows no buckle were of the sort customary in california for swift horsemen who appreciate mud at a quarter to four he took up his line of march to the sacramento boat personally he will make short work of the undertaking and probably be back in a day but by proxy he will put the west behind his heels like a very puck and be in at new york in thirteen days from this writing at three o'clock the letters he had to carry numbered fifty-three probably his whole cargo will be seventy-five or eighty letters at five dollars each those which use both pony and telegraph expect to be landed in new york in nine days after quitting san francisco the pony express riders were picked with the greatest care and represented the hardiest and bravest of western men each rider was provided with a complete buckskin suit with hair on the outside to shed the rain he also carried one or more colt's six-shooters eight inches in length and a knife eighteen inches long each man rode a stretch of one hundred miles though on occasion riders were known to carry the mail three times the regular distance without rest or sleep eleven hours was the maximum time allowed for the hundred miles and each rider was required to make at least four hundred miles a week the pony express except in the hardest weather furnished a much more rapid service than the overland mail but its charges were high it had no government subsidy and its route was subject to serious blockages by snow 
this last difficulty sometimes furnished the good citizens of los angeles with cause for rejoicing when for example in february eighteen sixty one the despatches brought by the overland mail to los angeles were telegraphed to san francisco arriving there ahead of the pony express a great celebration was held in the southern metropolis in honor of the overland mail and the pacific and atlantic telegraph footnote this line had been completed between los angeles and san francisco since october third eighteen sixty in footnote and it may be remarked in passing that a celebration in the los angeles society of the sixties was always carried out with spirit and fervor a large part of which whatever the occasion came out of kegs bottles and other containers of potential enthusiasm with the outbreak of the civil war the butterfield mail service since it ran through southern territory the larger part of the way was discontinued part of the equipment owned by the company was seized by the confederates and part was sold to the central overland california and pikes peak express or coc and pp a recently organized and very powerful company operating between salt lake and atchison missouri the remainder of the butterfield equipment was used to establish a line between salt lake and virginia city nevada this last line was later run in connection with a pioneer stage from the virginia city to sacramento and with the coc and pp from salt lake to atchison a through mail and stage service from sacramento to the missouri was thus at last established a daily mail service was soon operated over this route and a schedule maintained under which each coach made a minimum of a hundred and twelve miles a day the presiding genius of the new overland line was the widely known ben holliday obtaining an annual subsidy of one million dollars for the transmission of through and local mails between atchison and sacramento holliday enlarged his equipment improved the passenger service and extended his business so successfully that he finally had some three thousand three hundred miles of stage lines under his control in eighteen sixty six he sold his entire business to the wells fargo interests a company which had already gotten possession of the pioneer stage and the original overland mail in eighteen sixty eight the government granted wells fargo a yearly subsidy of one million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a daily mail service to california and under the incentive of this subsidy stages were once more restored to the old butterfield route but the age of the railroad was at hand and the day of the overland stage came to an end it had served its purpose however by writing a new chapter in western romance and by breaking down to some degree the isolation of a state end of chapter twenty four